Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone and welcome to Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this time we are watching episode 3 of series 1 of The Avengers, Square Root of Evil. This was recorded and transmitted on the 21st of January 1961. It was the first of the episodes to go out live and the first to be recorded live. The episode itself doesn't exist, there are no telesnaps and there are no known production photos from this one. There is an original script which survives in a private collection. There are no repeats of this documented, although there was one mooted in a memo. And there's an audio reconstruction by Big Finish which is available on Volume 1 of their Avengers series. Now, do we know if if the surviving script was used as reference material for that? For the big finish, what they've done is they've used all the original scripts. So where there isn't one, there's been a sort of scant plot available. I think they've written a script around that, I think. When we get to them, I'll listen to the behind-the-scenes documentaries and find out. But that's the only way I can think that they've done it. But but this is one where they were able to use the original script, even though it's in a private collection. They're in private collections, but they've been loaned to Studio Canal to be duplicated. So uh, they're in private hands, but they've been made available to Big Finish and Studio Canal. Yes? It's four o'clock, sir. Oh, yes. Thank you. Surely since they got onto Tobit, they'll be doubly suspicious. What of someone Hooper wants to join them? Have a leaf through that dossier. Timothy James Redden. Oh, my little Irish mother. Profession master forger. Delicate fingers. <laughs> Better get a manicure. You'll find everything there is to know about Redden in that file. Family, friends, habits, war record, everything. I see he was on our side. From that army report, I'd say he was on his own side. He mobbed in 45. I suppose humping a rifle about was bad for his delicate fingers. Born in Dublin. Protestant. That's unusual. Wait a minute. He's only five foot six. How do I talk myself out of that? More little factoids from Two Against the Underworld, which is a magnificent reference book by Alan and Alice Hayes and Richard McGinley. The wages for the principal cast... Ian Hendry was on £350 an episode and Patrick McNee was on £250 an episode. Although later down the line, he, I believe this was an ongoing struggle with Sidney Newman to get equal pay. And by the time episode 10 rocked around, he was being paid the same as Ian Hendry per episode. And this is something we'll come back to when we get to the Diana Rigg era. Oh, we will, definitely, when she found out she was being paid less than a cameraman. In this episode, there was a comment by Sidney Newman regarding him not being happy with John Steed as a character. And he spoke to Patrick McNee to tell him to go away and think about what the character was and who he was. Patrick McNee was a little bit wounded by this because he was investing a lot of himself in it. But he he went away and he took inspiration, apparently, from people like his own father, who was a bit of a dandy, people like Bo Brummel, the Scarlet Pimpernel, etc., who were 
uh, they were considered not to be a threat because they were a bit foppish. And so he went in for the idea that Steed was basically a civil servant and his furled umbrella, the weapon of the Englishman, that was going to be his thing. So he'd have a buttonhole, a bowler hat, basically everything to make him non-threatening whilst underneath he, he was hiding this uh, swashbuckling civil servant, basically. The episode doesn't exist, of course, but Jackie Warren does make reference to Steed's clobber and uh, says that he's something of a dresser in the script. So we can't actually tell at what point Steed's sartorial transition took place. Um, and the final thing, Dr. Treading, who was Keel, or who is Keel's medical practitioner partner, is that even a word, practitioner? He was supposed to be a semi-regular character, but after he appeared in Brought to Book, he was never seen again. So, Dr. Exton, this is where you come in and give us a, a nice, concise precy of the episode. Square Edge of Evil, and again, this is taken from Dave Rogers' Ultimate Avengers. Steed impersonates a counterfeiter, Reardon, gaining him entrance to a crime syndicate that prints forged banknotes. Having uncovered their plans, he finds his every move being watched by the Cardinal, the second in command. Only the pretense of an injury eventually allows Steed to visit Dr. Keel's surgery and pass on his information. On the pretext of attending to his patient, Keel arrives at the gang's headquarters in time to intervene when the Cardinal attacks Steed with a knife. Steed telephones the police and the Cardinal and his superiors, Blumenhooper, are arrested. No mention of the character of Lisa in that, who is kind of important in the well, plot. Yes. I was waiting for the Precy to mention Lisa, and she doesn't even get a glancing blow there. The first thing that I noticed about this episode, Steed is far more openly a womanizer than I have seen in, in later series, the, the episodes that I've seen. But the first sniff of a woman, and he's off. But wasn't that part of the original characterization? Yeah, that it was. It was supposed to be a, a kind of James Bond kind of thing with glamorous female guest stars each week, kind of the way that the the saint would come on and do. Yeah, and Patrick McNee apparently he was quite unhappy about that. Uh, in fact, Good. at some point he has said in an interview, "Please don't ask me where." that he didn't like the idea that James Bond basically used women as battering rams and drank and smoked himself to death. He wanted to be the antithesis of that with Steed. And by the time season two comes along and there are regular female co-stars, then all of that flirtiness becomes characterization between the two of them. So it's not Steed hitting on a, a new woman every week. Mm. It's Steed generally sparring with somebody who's massively his intellectual superior, certainly in terms of Cathy Gale and Emma Peel. I'm not keen on this aspect of Steed. I'm glad it didn't continue, because it just feels quite wrong, actually, particularly since a lot of his outrageous flirting doesn't land. He gets rebuffed a lot of the time. Yeah, which is quite a nice way to handle the the James Bond wannabe rather than just him smiling his million-dollar smile and the knickers drop off. Get somebody who says, actually, this is a load of bollocks. I do notice, though, that the episodes as they go on, I don't know whether this is going to continue, but they seem to be going through all the big vices. I mean, episode one was drugs. There was gambling in episode two. This episode's counterfeiting. You will already know, I don't know, but there's a pattern emerging here as to how each episode's going to be set up. There's going to be a thing. What, you mean a plot? It's been lost over the years, this art, replaced um, with special effects. 
in some shows with um, with some showrunners, but we're not talking about that here. Um, there are some episodes that are very definitely Cold War spy dramas. There are other episodes that are more traditional police undercover shows. I mean, you, you've talked about specific vices and there, there is a prostitution story coming on later on in the um, episode. There are all sorts of corruption stories. The thing, well, we, thing oh, that well. I know in terms of plot is that it's actually very similar to Brought to Book in that one of the Avengers ends up infiltrating a, a gang and has to be rescued by the other one. In this instance, it's Steed rather than Dr. Keel. But that's exactly what happened to him with the uh, the gang in Brought to Book. He infiltrated them and had to be rescued. This time around, it's Steed's turn. He infiltrates them and, and then has to be rescued. And that must have been a deliberate parallel because prior to this episode, the character of Steed, he was very shadowy. He turned up, he helped out, dropped his information, but you didn't actually find out very much about him. You didn't find out about the organization he works for. If he does, in fact, work for anything, anybody else or whether he's just a, a freelancer, whether he is actually a policeman or not. The civil service is sort of alluded to. Yeah. Um, and you get his superior five who is giving instructions, doesn't approve of amateurs being used and doesn't approve of Dr. Keel knowing what's going on with the the investigations, doesn't really approve with Dr. Keel being able to get in touch with him and and pass on that Steed is in danger. Mm. And I just thought it was, it was an interesting parallel between the two stories as each using the same plot device to give you a little bit more knowledge and familiarity and information about the two different characters the whole five character just appears there's no real fanfare about uh, him being the boss it's just sort of a scene obviously we are listening to the big finish version of this there is no reconstruction no there's very very scant material exists from the the actual or visual material that exists from the actual production I've got to give kudos to Big Finish for this. The way it's produced is just beautiful. This particular episode, I've got to say, I'm not overly blown away by. But the way they've produced it, all the voices are in that softened RP way that they had in the 1960s. Uh, it's very easy to hear these in black and white on very small sets. Even the, the sort of, in air quotes, film insert bits... They're very nicely obvious. Uh, the music's in keeping with the period. Just excellent production values and sound design. And I absolutely love the endings of the acts. But, 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 with that in mind... Now, unless I've missed something, and this is where you come in, Steed gets kissed by Lisa at the end of Act 1 while he's undercover and says out loud he doesn't know who she is. Yet in Act 2, Lisa makes it clear that she won't give him away for not knowing who she is. Unless I've really, really misunderstood that, he was right in front of everybody when he gave himself away. No, she came in and did her whole, it's been years since I've seen you, and he turns around and says, I've no idea who this woman is. And the gang accept that, but she realises he's not Reardon, because had he genuinely been Reardon and not known who she was, he'd have said that the moment she walked in the door. Right, it, it's still not a particular, it's a bit clumsy. I thought it was another example of the brightest woman, the brightest person in the room being being the woman character who is completely sidelined and ignored because she's the woman character. I think it was more the way. That, well, you've obviously heard the scene differently. It just 
It was the very first time I've been aware of this scene, and uh, it just didn't come across that well. And the one thing I will say is, again, kudos to Big Finish. They've used the original script, and they've already said any errors or, or whatever they're going to be keeping in to recreate as closely as they can to the episode, with obvious uh, concessions to audio where it's necessary. Steed puts on an Irish accent when he goes undercover, but it's not entirely immediately apparent that it's him putting on an accent. <laughs> so no, for means- a lot of the play, you're not sh- you don't know that... Well, I didn't know that it was Steed. I-, I was under the impression it was a completely different character. Now, it is spoon-feeding the audience a bit, but sometimes it would make it a little bit more accessible, for, particularly to people who maybe aren't that familiar with audio drama just to signpost things a little bit more clearly, because obviously you and I are intimately familiar with audio. That still legged me up. And the other thing is the bloke he was working for actually sounded quite like Steed's normal voice. That well, was the thing yeah. that I found, that it was just sort of... Yes, that's exactly... Irish accent Steed, somebody who sounds like normal accent Steed. The way the, the plot is set up, I knew which character was which, but it was just a bit jarring when it was happening. You see, I'm glad you've said that because that's exactly what I thought. It doesn't help as well that I still think that Keel sounds way, way too similar to Steed. So when the two of them do finally get in the room, you've got them two who are quite similar and third bloke who's also... So you've got three voices in the same scene that are all very, very similar that's my that's my only criticism from a big finish point of view. The episode ends with this fist fight, the cardinal being knocked out, uh, with Steed making some reference to switching his gang with some of our lot, and then a sort of nebulous ending, and they all piss off. It was it just wasn't that satisfactory. It was a really nebulous plot. I, I just didn't particularly get a hold of this one, and I've got to point out, as I'm sure you're going to do. The title of this thing makes no fucking sense, unless I've missed something glaring again. In which case, I've missed it as well. I mean, it's, it's a great title, but there's no relation whatsoever to anything that happens in the plot. Money's the root of all evil. Where does the square come into it? Pfft. Right in, kids, if we've missed something. So, yeah, um, with something of a, a slightly heavy heart, we'll rate this in Masterminds. <laughs> Simon, you can go first. What did you think? Um, I think it's a three. I enjoyed listening to it. It's not the greatest plot. It's kind of brought to book, redone with the characters done the opposite way around. And with the character of Carol almost dropping Steed in it. The whole bit where he phones up and she said, oh, Scotch this morning, Irish this afternoon. Yes. She knows that Keel and Steed are doing something well, investigative, messy, at but least. for good reasons. Yeah, and they're kind of half accepting that she knows this. And in later episodes, she she actually gets more directly involved with things. Why not just tell her what's going on? Keel's an amateur and is told exactly what's going on. Why not recognise that she actually has knowledge and value and is more than just a pretty face? Because but she's then, a woman, and they twittle twattle in the coffee shops and things, and could talk. Give away well, as opposed to Keel, who spent the, <laughs> the previous episode telling everybody what, exactly what was going on who would listen in that pub. You're right, it doesn't make any sense. 
I've got to view it in the context of the the time. I think that's the only way. Um, I'm going to give it a three as well. It's not terrible. I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the story, but I did enjoy listening to it and the plot. And this this deep dive that we're doing into a series that doesn't even bloody exist were it not for Big Finish's efforts. Uh, and God love them. They, they, it does sound fantastic. Oh, they all do. Big finish, the sound design, top marks, guys. Honestly, the effort that you've put into recreating this and making it sound as near to the original as you could, full marks for that. It's like listening in black and white. But on that note, we shall sign off. And we'll be back next week when we'll be covering episode four, Nightmare. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye now. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.